Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts from the Apollo 13 Minute and the Rocketeer Minute. I'm Jim O'Kane. And I'm Hal Bryan, also of the Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Chris Henry from the Apollo 13 Minute. And we have to do a little behind the scenes here because uh, I, I somehow I lost this Tuesday episode. So we're either doing it again, we never did it, or we're just all mass, having mass hallucinations. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thanks for coming back with us here. In the second, we're now in the second half of the movie. Or no, we will be in this coming week. We will be going to the second half of the movie. So we're finishing up the first half. So the movie I think. I think the bikini picture is so great that we just came back for a second episode yeah, uh, for the same clip. So, how, how could, Yeah, it, it's determined amnesia. But uh, yeah, we get to spend mostly uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Virginia Mayo minute here, which is just, you can never have you can never have enough Mayo either at Subway or in your movies. I just I, I keep thinking of uh, of airplane, of course. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Give me ham on five. Hold the mayo. Oh, and, yes. Uh, well, well, he he picks up the wrong phone. No, the white phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, gosh, but but that movie's been done. Oh well, um, which doesn't mean it can't be redone. But uh, I mean, we're we're, uh, we're finishing up looking at uh, gosh, so many B seventeens in the air and so many things trying to knock the B seventeens out of the air. Um, I think we took we talked quite a bit on Monday, uh, Chris, about about flak and uh, altitude and stuff. But uh, it's just it's just an amazing picture that there's somebody hanging out the back of a B-17 with a camera while somebody's shooting at them. Uh, yeah, that's I, and I and I know we talked about William Wyler. Yeah. Uh, flying Memphis Bell and catching, you know, I uh, flew five missions on the Bell um, and uh, and catching all this amazing footage of actually flak going off. But uh, I, you know, I don't know if we talked about like what the shell and stuff looks like. I just can't remember. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, we we talked. I believe we talked about how they were fragmentation, and the biggest problem. I mean, it, well, fortunately, the Germans didn't have the kind of accuracy that uh, uh, the British and American forces had come with, had come up with, thanks to a lot of hard work. I and mean, there was, besides the Manhattan Project, there was another project to make uh, proximity fuses in the U.S. And uh, there were there were different types of proximity fuses. Some used uh, visual, like optical. Uh, relays that would tell when you know if they noticed a shadow in front of it, it would blow up. Some were acoustical, some were uh, radio driven, uh, which was kind of a form of radar. It was, it was like a big. Imagine launching a metal detector into the sky. The big problem being the the tubes that were built for it. Um, they were made by Crosley Radio Company, the the, the pe- same people that made the Crosley radios that were in everybody's houses. But they had to make these super um, sturdy uh, tubes that would take a 20 g a 20,000 g force when they were launched out of a out of a cannon oh, lord uh, and uh, you know that that it, uh, the manhattan project gets a lot of the credit for you know all the all the technological advances during world war II. but the idea of building proximity fuses that went from there there was basically a one-tenth of one percent chance that a shell going up in the air would uh, damage an aircraft enough to knock it out of the sky the uh, the shells that were the 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 proximity fuses that were built that they they worked somewhat in the European theater but especially in the Pacific theater, the shell accuracy went to forty five percent. 
So if you fired two shells in the air, as long as you were aiming at the at the plane, there was a great there you know bet, uh, an almost even ch- chance that you were going to knock the sh- knock the plane out of the sky, and uh, you know that's just a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal change in the accuracy and you know the the beginning of what we called guided guided missiles and things. Isn't that just staggering? And you know you can you can pick almost any. Uh, any sort of area of development and innovation, and I think, and and sort of tunnel down uh, like you just did with proximity fuses, and you can find these extraordinary leaps forward. Uh, you know, it, it, driven by driven by the the world events at the time, driven by the war, and it's it's mind blowing, as you said. You know, so Manhattan Project sort of gets it in broad strokes, and that is infinitely complex, but you could almost just you know throw a dart at a at a wall chart of World War II history and find some story where uh, something absolutely extraordinary was developed and advanced and put into practice. Uh, just the way that, the unfortunate way that war accelerates innovation like that is staggering. Yeah, I mean, everything from computers to encryption to, uh, you know, rockets, you know, if you think about all the, all the stuff that came out of there that are products of really uh, violent activities right. but uh, fortunately being turned into some some good use and um, let's not forget spam yes <laughs> so yeah change, change yes. you know, i mean yeah, if, it, if, it, if it weren't if it weren't for napoleon we wouldn't have tin cans so you know right. it's <laughs> huge advances advances in mechanically uh, separated pork shoulder technology yes <laughs> uh, but we are uh, i i have a question the i mean most of the focus was on b17s but were there any were there any directors that followed the B-24s? Were there any big B-24 movies? I don't know of any outside of the more recent uh, uh, Unbroken. Right. Um, yeah. I can't think of a B-24 movie. I think, I, let's, I mean, let's face it, I'm B-17 biased, so this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. But uh, the B-17 was, there was something more romantic about it. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's some great footage of Andy Rooney talking about when he went to go fly uh he got to choose uh, when he was going to cover either a b-17 or a b-24 outfit and he said well i don't know anything about airplanes which one should i go in and they said well the b-24 can do all these different things better than the b-17 and he said okay and the guy said but i would still take the b-17 anyway <laughs> <laughs> so um and that's how you know, he ended up in a b-17 unit so um yeah, I I think the 17 for some reason just the looks or or you know um it was in service, you know, earlier. It just it was more romantic uh for yeah. some reason. It got picked up by a lot more films. It's it's just a sleeker look to it. I mean, it it, it probably the the 24 isn't photogenic, not that they didn't get the job done. Um but it was yeah, it it, it just seems that and I just I just wonder if the reason that we have the romance of the B seventeen is because so many so many directors were flying on them during a oh during I the ETA. I have no doubt that it, and especially you know uh, movies like Memphis Bell like Twelve O'clock High uh, that certainly helped cement it into anything that happened after that you know uh, um, I think swinging in through that front hatch in the nose there's just something. Yeah uber cool about that and uh and it's just strange even you know even the survivability of the b24 where i i believe the b24 was the most produced american combat aircraft during the second world war and yet there's still so few of them around like they just they didn't last they 
they just kind of went away. I mean, yeah. there's I, there's only two flying right now, and uh, um, you know, there's there's more uh, in museums, but still, it, you know, it's a fraction of how many B-17s are left. So it's mm-hmm. just just interesting that how that happened. How many operational uh, B-17s are there right now? I mean, I know we lost the, we lost 909 recently, but there's still I'm, so there's there's 50 airframes total remaining in the world, and that's static and flying. Um, the number varies, of course, uh, between, um, you know, a program might say, hey, we're going to take a break for a bit or come back and do something else. Um, but th- there's about 8 to 10 B-17s that fly regularly. Of that 8 to 10, I would say it's getting pretty low as far as who offers a ride program. But you can buy a ride on about three or four of them, I would say, regularly. Wow. And How Chris, you what I'm, would you I'm say close? is the, yeah, I think I think you're uh, you're spot on with that. And I was just going to ask you the loaded question, Chris. What do you think is the best B seventeen uh, to go out and buy? <laughs> well, uh, a I ride think on? I think of the flyers to buy a ride on aluminum overcast is by far uh, the superior airplane. And I, uh, you know, I, as an empl- EA employee who who obviously we have that aircraft, and I have a and Hal and I both have a have a, a rather large love affair with that airplane. <laughs> Um, but I, I really proudly say that airplane is one that is uh, is very well loved. So I mean, it it you know we are very proud of that aircraft, and uh, um, I, I definitely if you're ever at a, at a place where it is, come see it because it's a uh, it's a great machine. It is it is a, a gorgeous a gorgeous piece of machinery, and it's I think. It may have had, I mean, besides the Memphis Bell, I think more people have seen that one around than any than any other. It goes so many different places, and I know the the route changes every year. I think it it's had, for people having opportunities to fly on a B seventeen. I think it gives one of the most frequent opportunities. Yeah, uh, I've never actually sat down and you know compared our stops, and obviously we're you know we're biased and we're very very aware of our tour stops, but um, and. You know, kidding aside, of course, we have to say that the the community of of uh, B seventeen operators uh, that share rides is so small. It's it, it it it's more of a it's more of a community than it is a competition. But um, I, I I do certainly look at uh, how well traveled ours is, and I and it's it's certainly got to be up there. It it is out oh, there. Yeah. Uh, it is out there coast to coast, just working like mad. Well, and with the you know uh, with the unfortunate loss of 909, um, ours is one of the few that really is doing the tour still. Um, right. You know, at, at, you know, hats off to the folks with like Texas Raiders and Sentimental Journey. Um, those airplanes don't go do quite as big of a tour uh, as some of the other aircraft used to do, uh, used to fly. So it's um, yeah, and but like you said, it's not a competition. I mean, we all kind of work together. If someone's missing or, or somebody runs a, a flat tire on their tailwheel or something and you know another airplane has it you can guarantee that that the other team will, will kick up a tire form or whatever um something great called the b17 co-op which is the owners and operators that get together and help you know make sure hey what what issues are you seeing what can we do to work together um but um but yeah i of the flyers uh aluminum overcast is hands down my favorite um uh, of the static aircraft memphis bell is hands down my favorite um uh and i think that's a great you know it's something that that i've i've said for a very long time was uh it's not a it, it's not a an argument of either or as far as flying or static you need them both they they both do a completely different uh job of telling a story that gets people to the same point but you can do different things with different aircraft like memphis bell um 
you know, she flew 25 combat missions. That's the one that, you know, you can actually go and put all the armor plating back in. Because once you start putting that stuff in, it gets really hard to move around that airplane. Um, so make that as stock as you can, because that's going to be your static study piece. And then Loom Overcast, like, this is the one that we take the classroom out to other folks who maybe otherwise wouldn't get to see a B-17. Um, so I, I think both both avenues are, are very much needed and, and kind of complement each other. Yeah, and I'm considering that they're, you know, gosh, they're coming up on 80 years old. It's it's amazing that, that these these folks are still in the air and, and able to able to get around. It's I don't know how how much of it is a ship of. I, I always wonder about how much of it is like the ship of Theseus. Like, how is is most of it original, or is where where does that fall? So um, our so our B seven most of the B seventeens that are flying are pretty original. I mean, um, you know, I don't consider and 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 this is just me personally talking. So somebody could hear this and be like, I hate that guy. <laughs> um, but uh, that'll um, be me. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, just to be exactly. Clear. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, if it's something that would be changed while the aircraft was in original combat service, you know, I don't really ding someone for saying, well, that's not original. Like for example, engines and props and stuff. Well. That stuff all got serviced while the airplane was in theater uh, yeah. or, or in active duty. So, I mean, Overcast probably had her engines changed while it was still 1945 or 46 or something, uh, you know, at some point. So, um, but our airplane is, 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 it's pretty stock. I mean, a lot of the metal that you're looking at is 1945 Boeing, or actually Lockheed Vega, um, on metal. So, I mean, uh, uh, it, it, it was never one of the restoration aircraft like, um, uh, you know, like Liberty Bell, that that was like completely. Uh, that's a complete restoration, and it's going through a second restoration now. Um, or you know what I mean? One of those aircraft that's kind of built up from the ground. Uh, this airplane was a working airplane. It stopped working uh, as a fire ant sprayer, and then was bought to become a, a museum aircraft uh, and continue flying. So it's she's pretty original. Now we, you know, the things like the turrets and things like that. That's all aftermarket, not aftermarket, but. Yeah. Um, you know, that was put in restoration wise. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, the uh, when you're looking at that, you know, those wings and fuselage out there, that's that's really her. Well, and it's interesting, too, because the uh, something as big and complex as a B-17 versus a, you know, versus a much smaller airplane, you know, a, a, a Stearman or something where you might rebuild the fuselage and then recover it and then. That's where you, Jim, your ship of thesis, yeah. or the or George Washington's axe, you know, exactly. comes into yeah. play. Was yeah. um, it something? I, I think just for the sheer the sheer size of it and the sheer complexity and sheer number of parts, um, with something like aluminum overcast, it's uh, who knows how many decades or generations it would be before truly every uh, every structural component was replaced and upgraded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the, fort- the fortunate thing is, thanks to airworthiness certificates and stuff, you can track every part all the way back to where you know what mine the, the iron ore was dug out of, pretty much. So. <laughs> exactly. um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's always I know I know every time every time we get together and talk, it it turns into this museum crawl about where where right. where all this stuff comes from. But I, I was I was watching the uh, the restoration of the. Uh, the B twenty six that the National Air and Space Museum has the flak bait. Oh yeah, and I mean that thing's been rebuilt and re reshoed and re you know it's repaint it's it's been so many times I don't know how much is is going to be together but I think it's going to be mostly a recreation of a lot of it. Um, uh, the, so the Air and Space Museum's B twenty six that's actually really bone stock that is flak bait. 
Yeah. Um, and that is, I, that's what I would say would be like sort of the, um, they basically got done flying it, took it apart, and shipped it to the states. Um, yeah. So when you look at it, like the scratches, the dings, you know, that's all wartime weathering. That wasn't uh, uh, done from neglect or something like that. So they're they're being super careful, and that's why it's taking you know a bit longer um, because they want to preserve it. You know, when they look at, for example, they found uh, in the main landing gear doors where when the ground crew was was in between missions, they would actually play tic-tac-toe in the yeah. oil. Um, so, so yeah, that airplane is like, I, I would say that's like the holy grail of, oh, my God, it was retired original and brought to a museum and packed away. Um, yeah, there, it, there's a few it, things they've had to, to touch up, um, but it's I can't, I can't say enough about how amazing of a job they're doing down there. Yeah, it's the it's the classic. It's like the uh, the, the the forgotten Harley Davidson warehouse in the desert. You know, it's just one of those. <laughs> look yeah, at this, exactly. and you know, you, you see some of the you know the condition of it, but it's like you said, it's it's real. This is real cor- you know, corrosion and where this came from the war to here. Yes, and yeah. it's it, I'm, there's always an urge to make things like the day they you know they rolled off the assembly line, but it's just it's being able to see this and understand that's that's how it's supposed to look. That'll be fine. Um, yeah, the flip side of that coin is uh, Kermit Weeks B-26 Marauder. Um, that's an airplane um, that David Talashay originally restored. Um, it's flying. It's it's a conglomerate of about four different airplanes. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, it's an absolutely wonderful you know aircraft and restoration uh, to flying you know standards. Um, but that is one that is a complete restoration. You know, it's yeah. not where flak bait is. You know, literally the log books were still in the aircraft when they got it. You know, so yeah. it's like they shut it down and then just shipped it home. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I would like to point out that uh, the the conversation uh, so far we are 19 minutes into this episode and uh, we have covered uh, <laughs> the, the about three quor- three quarters of the first uh, second <laughs> yeah. of this minute, inspired by that B-17 picture, and that yes. and, and and folks, you are getting this free of charge. Yes, they, we we are not right asking there. a dime for this. No, you can you know oh. you can uh, more than more than welcome to uh, to be a, become a member of the EAA, which is well, kind sure. of EAA.org. That's that's, that's, yeah. that's it, always welcome. But uh, one way if you want to if you want to hear more talk like this and keep uh, Hal and Chris carefully employed, but, uh, I, I actually forget that we're even recording this half the time, and I'm just like, oh, geez, this is this is just, this is just how we talk when we're together. Yeah, yeah. So. Somebody yeah. else is going to hear this. Yeah, <laughs> we, we haven't we haven't talked about Dana Andrews' thumbs, but he's really he's very well manicured. In this, as he's holding the picture, and he he puts his thumb right over where the giant thumbprint on the original negative was for that uh, that other B seventeen, as we talked about yesterday. Um, and I, the thing that one I wonder about, you know, you I wake, lay awake at night staring at the ceiling, are those really Dana Andrews thumbs, <laughs> or is this right. the insert? And then the, you know, and then like the other assistant just painted his fingernail and said, "I'll be I'll be Virginia Mayo in this one. I've got small hands." They had a call for stunt thumbs at this yeah. point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Paging but we'll, George Costanza. <laughs> we we go to uh, we go to the the, uh, the 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 medium shot of the two of them looking at stuff and they sure do like their bracelets. Um, the, uh, Although you know, real quick, let's go back <laughs> because yeah. we haven't moved far enough. So when when we see what may or may not be Virginia Mayo's hand come in and pointing at the picture and the flak and things, she's wearing a, a watch on her left wrist and is it, it almost looks like there's a sleeve or there's something under her hand. I don't know. If, if she, she, is, she, 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 is that just? Oh, that's that's the other picture that she's holding. She's, well, she no, yeah. Well, she's hold no. She's actually holding onto the scarf that uh, Dana Andrews gave her from Paris. 
Oh right, which right. she's that's going. That's that's going to be her bit of business that she does for most of the rest yeah. of the minute. And uh, but when you go back to that longer shot, that watch doesn't really no, seem the, to the match the bracelet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's actually a big bangly bracelet. Maybe it's not even a watch. I don't know. And it's, it's just it slid. Uh, uh, yeah, it could be. I. Uh, it could be okay. Now, like once again, I'm thinking of the the Naked Gun where uh, Leslie Nielsen comments Priscilla Presley on on her anklet. Yeah, she goes, "Oh, how did that get down there?" And she takes it off and puts it back on her wrist. <laughs> I don't I know why. That's, so as we talk about migrating bracelets. Yes, yes, she. Uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, they were both you know holding on and looking at this stuff, and oh, God bless uh, Virginia Mayo. She just really knows how to look confused. She she runs through so many emotions and and showing her you know that she's very proud of her husband and trying yes. to figure out what the heck he's talking about uh but we get to the we get to the cheesecake photo which uh we i, I know chris and i talked about this at length in the previous one but I, we can go over it again i think chris we can just cover this ground again that, that shouldn't be a problem oh yeah no, that's no problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything for uh, anything for dear marie oh, who so, uh so isn't that isn't that interesting i mean you guys I, I think covered some of this ground as you said without me but isn't that interesting that this is a uh, I think, as you had said before we started recording, this is a pre-bikini, but it's it, it it's not far off. I mean, it's no, a, no. It's a, I mean, it's, it's like a three-piece, two-piece. She's got like right. a, there's like a, a lower half and an upper half, and then she's got something over the, the lower half. Um, and again, and if, I, I hate to point this out again, but I don't think that is Dana Andrews' thumb. His thumb has <laughs> changed. That's a different. It's got a different moon at the base. A cuticle is different. Uh, this is obviously a stunt thumb. Obviously, a stunt thumb. I want that job. Yeah. <laughs> Here, you hold Virginia Mayo's uh, Polaroid or whatever. Yes, her little cheesecake it's, photo. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just hit. It just hit me. Polaroid was 1946. This could be one of the first Polaroids if they needed it in a hurry. I don't know. Oh, interesting. I oh hmm. uh, yeah. And it's got uh, you know, it's got sort of what almost looks like masking tape or something around the edges. Um, which, so which that that would be from the bomber, right? I mean, would yeah, yeah, like he, he had, had it taped up in the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always wonder when I see a staged uh, photo like this, um, did, is that uh, 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 Virginia Mayo's handwriting? Did she sign it with love, Marie? Did she sort of sign it in character? And I think the answer is completely irrelevant. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't do any. It doesn't provide me any insight. But I still want to know. Yeah, it, um, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it it obviously doesn't look like somebody who signed their name Marie frequently because you wouldn't sign it that. So I have one. Right. I have one little sliver of info that I thought was interesting. I could chime in on this. Oh, okay. And it was when they were making um, uh, the new, the most recent, uh, the right stuff miniseries. Yes. Uh, a friend of mine was a technical advisor on the set, and at the end of uh, production, they actually gave him a few things. And one of the things they gave him, and he showed me this, is uh, it, it was a copy. It was a recreation of the Life magazine with the astronauts on the cover. Um, and there's an there's a there's a scene in the mo in the miniseries where they're autographing them. Oh right. And but yet they weren't really autographing them. There's just these big. It looks like a big smudge. Like and I and I when I saw this, I was like, oh geez, too bad that got wet. That would have been really neat. And he was like, no, that's not what it is. Like. They just put those smudges down, and then when they were filming the scenes, the astronauts' markers weren't real, and they were just, like, tracing those real quick to make it look like they were signing them. 
Like, I have no idea why you wouldn't just sign the covers of these things. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, wow. but it's really interesting. I've never heard of this. I'll have to send you... I'll, I'll send you guys a picture. Maybe we could share it or something, but uh, uh, it's really, really interesting. Wow. Well, I, I just I just looked up William Wyler's handwriting samples. on. Thank, thankfully for the internet, you can look up what people <laughs> wrote like, and it's definitely not William Wyler's handwriting. He doesn't make <laughs> W's like that. And of course, he writes W's a lot with his name. So it's definitely huh. not from the director. Can we just stop and imagine for a second how uh, the complexity of the task you just accomplished, what that would have been in 1946 <laughs> when this movie yeah. came out? Yeah, you would have had to go to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in Beverly Hills, which is right. when I, I went to their website, and they have all kinds of stuff on there. And I would have had to, yeah, had to flown to California, examine it with a magnifying glass, come back with a, a, a Xerox of the of the signature. But here it is. You know, well, well, you would, and you would have had to call. You would have had to make an appointment. Yeah. You probably would have had to justify it. And... Yeah. Uh, and with my luck, they're closed on Tuesday. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if they came to you, if somebody came to you and said, "I want to look in your archives because I'm curious about this, about one fraction of a second of a movie," yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I would say no. Yeah, go away. <laughs> Back in '46, <laughs> yeah, get yeah. away, kid. You bother me. Yeah. By the way, let me see your thumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got a future in this town. Wow. I do. So want, I, the one thing I think is interesting is think about all the work that they went through for this. This what two seconds of film? Yeah, where they literally had to stage a photo of her with a shot, you know, so they had to involve wardrobe and everything to get a bathing suit, everything down there to get a picture on the pier, and then print the photo, and then have somebody weather it or tack it up or put some tape around it, and then somebody signed it, all for like a second and a half on 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 in the movie. And they right. probably and they probably made six copies of them just in case they didn't, you know, I oh I spelled with wrong. So <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they and they probably practiced on paper. Going, this is what it would look well, like. How about this? You know. <laughs> well, um, I'd I'd like to think that now, uh, you know, some what eighty years later, or pushing eighty years later, seventy five years later, anyway, we've uh, we've given them their due. Yeah. You know, yeah congratulations they, yeah. to the good, production good. assistants and everything, everyone else that was involved in that process. Yeah, good work, crew. And and then when we come back from the from the close up, we get to see the uh, the little army photo of their twenty days of marriage. In the background, which also had to be shot, you know, here, right? Mer, yeah, put this on Virginia, and, and here you put this hat on, uh, Fred. We're going to get this done, and and, and again, get it. that printed, you know, get it yeah. printed, get it developed, and somebody's got to go pick out a frame and everything else. Wow. Um, <clears throat> not to jump too far ahead, but you know, we've we've yeah, spent we've a fair share, a fair amount of time on the first point uh, zero one yeah. seconds. Um, so uh, in this the the next shot the next scene uh, we're in the the bedroom closet and we're behind a Murphy bed. Yes. Explain to me how this Murphy bed works because we're looking at the the bottom of the bed, and when he nudges it, it swings as if as if the top uh, as we're looking at as if the top would go down and fold down to the left. Oh, oh, I, I know this one. It's actually, it's not quite a Murphy bed. It, what it is, is it is a folding bed that folds into a U-shape. Ah, you, okay. You take, so it's just, it's almost like the old rollaways we'd get in a hotel uh, or right. something. Yeah, that would yeah, fold it's up pretty like much that. rollaway. Because if you look, it's it's leaning up against the wall of the room behind, behind the other, behind their living room or whatever ah. they call that. 
And so it's it's rolled away and stuffed into that that little corridor. So he's got a an open closet on one side, and oh, then the sure. rollaway bed is pretty much blocking the entrance. And then we can see in the bath in the bathroom behind him are all of her nylons hanging from the uh, curtain. Right. Uh, so she's got uh, she, she's got a bunch of nylons uh, drying on the drying there, and uh, I would assume lots of shoes somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I don't. Are, are those sort of like folded up flowers or something? I, I can't figure. Are they dried flowers that she has? Or is, oh no, you know what those are? Those are hats with fascinators. That uh, on the on the there's like a steamer trunk on the in the in the in the uh, foreground to the right hand side, and uh, what looks like a bunch of hats stacked up on top of a a, a trunk, and then all those different dresses that she has uh, loaded up in the overtaxed um, uh, closet area. I think. Interesting. Yeah, I think that. I think that you're right. Yeah, and then as soon as, as soon as I scrub ahead a little bit further, I see exactly what you mean about the. About the bed and it. Yeah. Because it. Yeah. When it comes it's, it's to kind of, when it it's comes kind to of life, poking out. Yeah, it's kind of poking out there. Yeah. And that's my problem for being obsessed with the first half of this minute. <laughs> you know, if I had just scrubbed ahead a bit, of, I would have answered my own question. But. But it's an odd. It's an odd shape. It's only like, yeah. uh, like there's that metal, and I, it somehow flips down. Like it, it isn't a U shape. It's just one no, it's, side. Yeah, that's true. It's, so the whole thing, it's like you'd pull out, uh, pull out a couple of legs, and then just rock the whole thing down onto, onto yeah. the floor or something like that. Yeah. Because otherwise, if that were a U shape, that'd be like the longest bed in human history. Which is yeah, that's cool. true. Yeah, it'd be like yeah, the Wolf Chamberlain uh-huh. uh, collection. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's um, oh, gosh, that you know, it, I, I I'm brought back to my childhood and. We had a house that had a couple of rooms with glass doorknobs on them, and that was all the rage back in like around 1910, 1920. Uh, so just seeing the glass knobs again was wow, um, just a rarity now. Oh, well, I guess you could find them in um, what's the name of that st- restoration hardware? That that's probably a <laughs> where you can find those <laughs> right. kind of things. So uh, now that we've uh, we've moved on past the uh, the embarrassing uh, bed debacle uh, featuring me. Um, <laughs> On the uh, the right side of the screen, sort of behind the telephone, and the, there's a writing desk, but there's a table right in front of the a little chair and the writing desk in the background. Yes. There's a very happy little hippo. Yes, yes, a very happy hippo. I, t- any thoughts? Uh, is, is that is there any I, significance to that, or is it just uh, this is just a cute, uh, cute little pr- probably ceramic hippo that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it may have been pop. I, I, it's funny. I was looking for. I haven't seen anything in eBay or, or where there may have been like a 1940s hippo. I'm assuming that they're typical tchotchkes that were available at the time. Um, there's also that. Uh, is it a giraffe that's on the top? Yeah, of yeah, it looks like a stylized giraffe up there. Or, but it has things to have a bird. Like it's like a uh, like an ostrich. Yeah, it's a very bird. That could be an ostrich. Yeah, it's uh, maybe <clears throat> one of my uh, one of my colleagues. Uh, uh, well, we'll just mention her name, Chris Henry, is uh, Kayla Floyd, and she uh, had a pet ostrich as a child. Did she wow. really? I did and not that, know that. And what that came up during her job interview, which I thought <laughs> oh, was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, face it, when you're in a job interview with Hal, you've got to drop that, that yeah. Uh, ostrich Yeah, if you're used to have you an ostrich. You've got to play, gotta play the ostrich card. <laughs> right. Play the ostrich card. You're hot. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, One yeah, minor I, I, thing about yeah. the hippo is that uh, apparently that's a big deal in the the Macy's parade oh. that there was a, that there was a celebrated um, celebrated just sort of very generic hippo. It wasn't sort of a character or anything else. 
first appeared in 1940, and then it was retired. uh, But then, okay, but it was called Happy Hippo, and it it bears a resemblance, but I don't know. It it could be. She might, you know, she might have gone to New York or something and been, you know, been out out east. Um, The... Oh, well, she's from Texas because they, they met while he was training down in San Antonio. Oh, sure. So, but who knows? She may have gone east just to do something. Maybe there was a nightclub act that she could have been a part of. Um, I, my, uh, my only relationship with movie tchotchkes is if you've seen Pulp Fiction, uh, Bruce Willis has a kangaroo uh, on his uh, 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 dresser that he it, it's used to. You take your watch off and you put you put your watch hanging off the kangaroo's tail. You put your spare change in the pouch, the uh, the Joey pouch of of there. And there's and there was like an individual spot for all the uh, all the junk that men wear, rings and such, that you can hang on this kangaroo. And it was very popular during the fifties. And when I saw it, I was floored because my dad had one of those, and I to this day I still have his. Uh, you know, it's it's basically your changing table um, kangaroo that huh. men would have used back in the fifties to divest themselves of jewelry and wallets and and such when they were getting ready for bed. Uh, who knew that Pulp Fiction was based on your dad's <laughs> life? I, I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was he he was friends with a lot of boxers, and I just didn't realize that it all expanded out. Apparently, he must have been you know involved with hitmen, and I, he just kept it from me. So just the Man. things. The things that my you, dad never told me. The life you led, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I think we've beaten this one to death. You know, the, <laughs> the only thing I wanted to say is when you watch this clip, you know, Marie is not, like, that bad of a person in this clip. Like, watching this clip <laughs> isolated from the rest of the movie and what happens. And I, and I still say that, like, she isn't a bad person. It just, like, life happened to her in a weird yeah. way, you know? Right. Like, but, oh, like, yeah. she's totally, like... Like she's totally into him and everything here. It, it it was I think it just you know unfortunately falls falls apart. But when you watch this clip like isolated like we did, like it's like oh she's she's not that bad. And then you watch the rest of the movie and it's like oh she was bad. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, she, yeah. She got she got fed up with not having the dream that she had imagined. Yeah. But yeah, you can you can in this particular minute you can see why Fred fell for her. Yeah, she just seems right. very very happy. She talks. She talks very metallic-y. She has a, a very discreet... And, and if you've seen Virginia Mayo in other movies, she's not, she's not like this at all. She's very nice. <laughs> um, but, she, yeah, she comes across as a little shrill, a little bit over, you know, over-caffeinated or something. But, <laughs> but she, uh, yeah, she, you can see what it is that Fred originally saw in Marie. And this is, this is all the whole officer and gentleman um, storyline, uh, you know, played out originally before, before, before that movie. Uh, but you can see where she thought she was going places with this officer that she met and and married, and then didn't have to think. You know, she she could live with the dream image of him while he was away, um, and vice versa. Frankly, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and she didn't. You know, and, and the reality of what she was. You know, she met the guy from literally the wrong side of the tracks, who you know his his parents lived in a shanty town and. Uh, his stepmom didn't seem to have a past <laughs> we weren't quite sure of. Um, she got a, and that was interfering with her dream. So, you know, uh, Marie's moved out, Freddie. That was <laughs> what his stepmom said. And, uh, you know, and she did. And she she's very nice to them. She's very cordial to them. But she doesn't want to live in that lifestyle, um, which kind of sets her up for you know, the, the second half of the movie coming up next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting how much is conveyed in this scene she's she seems a little vain you know trying out uh 
you know, how does she look in, you know, what if she wore the scarf with the skirt? What if she did this or that? And uh, she seems to play a lot to her mirror, but that's the life she's had. And she's been alone waiting for her husband to come back. So it's uh, just, you, you can, you feel sympathy for her in this, in this minute, I think. Uh, wow. Well, um, any further thoughts on, on the movie? I, I also have to, another, another little behind the scenes is we're, we're, we're kind of recording, we are recording these things out of order. And technically, this is my final minute <laughs> doing, of doing the best minutes. But we'll have, uh, I do have to say, tomorrow you have to come back because we have one of the few stars, one of the few living stars uh, coming, on, coming onto the show. And we have some great conversations coming up. Not that ours haven't been wonderful conversations, but uh, but yeah, do check back with us for the rest of the week. We've got some am- amazing moments coming up. So, uh, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of fun ha- having this person on. Um, anyway, well, again, thanks for thanks for listening. We will we will continue on for folks who uh, are interested in talking about the social side of this and want to want to back talk us about everything we've gotten wrong in this particular minute. Um, you should uh, reach out to us on social media at Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Club on Facebook, also at Twitter at The Best Minutes. If you have been listening to this, please go and like and subscribe us on uh, uh, Apple I, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, wherever you found us. Please, if you could leave us a uh, a review with as many stars as you can and leave, leave a note because that's how people find us. The more the more comments you get on that, good comments, people people will will listen in uh, or if you if you don't subscribe to uh, podcasting sites you can find us at the main site at thebestminutes.com but basically the, wherever you found this particular minute you can find the rest of us so please do like and subscribe we'll we'll, uh, we'll be here for more episodes but anyway join us here tomorrow as we, we welcome a very special guest uh, we'll see you here next time on the best minute podcast Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.